Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And we're the Old Dogs. If you've got about 20 minutes, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, we'll introduce you to Steve and Vicki Farrell, a couple who have been performing together for over 40 years. But first, the Old Dogs will ramble about our living preferences as we get older. Pod nuggets include aging in place, a look at another Rolling Stones farewell tour, the newly renovated Mission Control Center that launched Apollo 11, a four-year-old kid who swiped his granddad's car to look for candy, and new research on why we believe fake news. It's all coming up, so stay with us. Okay, Paul, what's on your mind today? Well, I've been thinking about our first pod nugget, Uh and the theme of that is aging in place. Right. It started me thinking about what I want my lifestyle to be like in the future, you know? What kind of future are we talking about here? I'm talking maybe... Second century? Well, you know, both you and I are going to live forever, correct? Uh, But, you know, we're going to have some... uh, declining physical capabilities. And so I started looking at where I'm living right now. I live in a two-story house. Mm -hmm. So do I. It's a townhouse, small yard. And um, I think I want to start looking for a one-story living situation, which I think will support me as I'm getting older. I really don't want to move into assisted living. I want to stay with my stuff. Yeah, we don't really like a townhouse in that we're very close to our neighbors, small backyard. So, yeah, I think we could find something that we could age into over the next 10 years. Well, I have to say that my wife and I really like where we live. It is a two-story house, but we go up and down the stairs with very little difficulty. Uh, we've got a generous yard, which my wife likes to garden in, and... I don't want to move. Yeah. I'm I am having trouble with the idea of picking up and going someplace else. Uh just the 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 nature of doing something with all of that stuff and putting it in boxes or giving it away or whatever. Yeah, moving moving is just not desirable, you know, because number one, you're gonna have to cut down on your stuff. <laughs> and and number two, it's just a big hassle, you know, if your stuff gets broken, misplaced, whatever. I like having my stuff around me, but I'm afraid I have to go back to one story. Well, my plan is that I am going to stay in that house until I am crawling around in it on all fours, uh, wear knee pads if necessary on the hard surfaces. Is this a new hobby of yours? Or? <laughs> <laughs> it's called Crawling As You Age. Well, I think you and I are agree on this, that we would prefer to age in place in a, a house that we're comfortable in. Yeah, right? and make accommodations as necessary, which is where our first nugget is going. As we get older, our home can create some physical challenges, such as climbing stairs that may make assisted living necessary. Or you can make some aging-in-place changes to your home and postpone assisted living. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for July 1st, 2019. The aging in place movement is an attempt to remain in your own home for as long as possible. This could require remodeling or retrofitting your home. For remodeling, you may want to contact a contractor who is a certified aging in place specialist. Now, if remodeling is too expensive, using a handyman for simpler changes may be enough. 
For example, installing shower grab bars or moving to a downstairs bedroom or maybe increasing the lighting. All of these things will make your living space more livable. Now, it makes sense to stay in your own home as long as possible, but there is a risk of isolation if staying at home means watching TV from a recliner. Oh, yeah? What's wrong I with watching know. TV from a recliner? sounds pretty good. Okay. Uh, but finding a way to maintain meaningful human contact is important. Volunteering is a great way to make new friends. Go online and find a senior social program that fits your needs. If you need some assistance, Elder Villages are affordable social and medical networks that link seniors with volunteers. Eldercare.gov is a good resource for government programs. For more suggestions on aging in place, go to AARP's Home Fit Guide. You know, I'm looking around the studio, Jim. And I think we could use some grab bars for our microphones. What do you think? <laughs> or maybe some self-rising chairs. Like that. Uh, more lighting. How about a masseuse? Maybe a happy hour? Well, don't we already have that? We're happy all the time. <laughs> the Rolling Stones are also aging in place. But the place is a rock concert stage. This news of their latest concert tour is from the New York Times for July 1st, 2019. In April, the band postponed this tour, reportedly because Mick Jagger needed heart surgery. Oh, boy. Now that the tour is back on track, could it be that the Rolling Stones, Rock's Bad Boys, are showing their age? After all, the four band members are all in their 70s now. Their demographic, uh, that's us, are also showing their age. And this has impacted the sponsor of the tour. Guess who that sponsor is. Let me Our, guess, let me guess. Okay, okay. Harley Davidson. No. Uh, a boutique vodka. Nope. How about Victoria's Secret? <laughs> Absolutely not. The sole tour sponsor is, drumroll, the Alliance for Lifetime Income. Huh? Well, the Alliance is a trade association that promotes the sale of annuities. Oh, you're kidding. Nope. Annuities? Well, in case you don't know, an annuity is a form of insurance that gives you a guaranteed income in exchange for an upfront investment. It's a retirement tool. Yes, we are getting older when a Stones tour is sponsored by financial planning for seniors. Well, if I can, I will be there. Instead of a lighter, though, I will be waving my AARP card. Now, that's style. Where else can you get vintage 70s rock served up by vintage 70-year-old rockers? In honor of the moon landing 50 years ago, NASA has given a $5 million facelift to the Apollo Mission Control Center. This item originated with the New York Times for June 29, 2019. The control room had been abandoned in 1992, with operations moved to a more modern facility. The room was a mess, with frayed carpet, broken equipment, and the scent of mildew in the air. The center had been a National Historic Landmark since 1985, but it took the looming moon landing anniversary to generate the needed funds to clean the place up. The reconstruction was accurate down to the rotary dial phones, ashtrays, and cans of RC Cola. Yeah, I saw the photo. It's there. Every inch has been refurbished. They even match the original ceiling tiles and wall paint. 
When you view the center from the observation gallery, it is frozen in time. All that's missing is a couple dozen engineers in white shirts and ties manning the consoles and talking into headsets. Uh, Don't forget the cigarettes. (laughs) Lots of cigarettes. If you're coming to Houston, get a tour of the Apollo Mission Control Center at NASA. It's a fun flashback to a time when America's space program captured the imagination of the whole country. Paul, you remember that Paul Simon song, Baby Driver? Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, now, I never knew what it meant, but now I do. Turns out, if you happen to be babysitting your four-year-old great-grandchild, don't worry about sharp objects. Instead, hide the car keys. This item comes to us from Sky News for June fifteenth, 2019. Four-year-old Sebastian Swenson had quite an adventure recently. He used his great-grandfather's walker to reach a set of car keys. He then drove more than a mile in an SUV to find some sweets. He eventually pulled into a gas station where the police finally stopped him. Now, the ride wasn't without incident. The boy clipped some mailboxes and a tree in his quest for sugar. However, he did successfully make a left turn onto a busy four-lane street. Now, that's not bad driving for someone who could barely see over the steering wheel. With those navigational instincts, Sebastian may have a future in the space program. After all, there are no mailboxes or trees in space. And that's fortunate. Fake news is a term we tend to associate with conservatives. But according to recent studies, people on the left as well as the right have issues with fake news. This item comes to us from the Scientific American Blog Network, posted February 14, 2019. This new research suggests that liberals as well as conservatives are motivated to believe fake news and dismiss real news that contradicts their ideologies. The researchers used both positive and negative fake news stories presented as breaking news. Participants then made judgments of each story based on how much they believed the story to be true, reliable, and trustworthy. The results show that both sides of the political divide are equally likely to believe political news that's consistent with their ideology and to disbelieve news that is inconsistent with their side. This finding is also consistent with other research that suggests liberals and conservatives are similarly motivated to avoid exposure to one another's opinions. They are also similarly motivated to deny scientific findings that are inconsistent with their ideologies. In other words, it's nearly impossible to change someone's mind in a political argument. Which is why you don't bring up politics over Thanksgiving dinner. And also why this podcast is a politics-free zone. Steve and Vicki Farrell have two ongoing love affairs. One is with each other, and the other is with comedy. In a career that started in 1972, the Farrells have entertained thousands of audiences in both local theaters and national TV shows. We'll talk about what keeps them going, and we'll even play you a bit of their one-of-a-kind music. Okay, well, we have a a number of questions that we would like to ask you, uh, some of which we already know the answers to, but maybe not. Uh, We're fascinated by your lives and your time together and your career. Uh, We'd like to start with telling us how the two of you met. Well, we met working on a showboat in 1972, the showboat Rhododendron on the Mississippi. And uh, we were both in college. 
we fell in love. I did immediately. Uh, I, I, I uh, told her the first week we were together, we were walking and we hadn't been on a date or so much as kissed. And I said, I'm going to tell you now, just so I'll be able to tell you when we're old, hmm. remind you that I did, but I know we're going to grow old together and uh, have kids and be happy the rest of our lives. And uh, I think you were pretty stunned by that. <laughs> I didn't believe you at first. Yeah. Till I got to know you a little better. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were doing Charlie Brown, and Steve was playing Snoopy, and I was Peppermint Patty. The standard uh, dog meets little girl. And we uh, went on from there uh, to uh, have one year apart and then got married uh, and moved to Minneapolis when I started graduate school at the University of Minnesota. And a couple of years after that, Paul came into my life when uh, I ended up working for him at the Brave New Workshop in Minneapolis. And then we had seven wonderful years with the Comedy Workshop, and uh, that was wonderful training. And the and Comedy Workshop, we're talking... We're talking about Houston's comedy workshop, and uh, right. uh -huh. so Paul somehow lured the two of you down here. How did he manage to do that? How much it's did it cost him? It's pretty straightforward. He said, "I want him." He, uh, Paul had gone to uh, Houston. What? Who were you shooting with? Alex Karras? Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, you... well, though that was in Chicago. Actually, I did shoot with Alex Karras, but I had a, a friend from college who lived here in Houston, named Gary Carr. I don't know if you remember Gary. Right. Yeah, sure. And so he and I were scoping out Houston, decided it would be a good place to land a theater. And so then we all had the great U-Haul migration from Minneapolis. And then in 1985, you split off and started Radio Music Theater, a really unique theater in, in uh, Houston. Uh, can you tell us what the concept was and how you came about developing it? Yeah. Uh, music had been my first love before I got into theater and comedy, and I was looking for a way to do more music and to have Vicky on the drums. So we started uh, conceiving this system that would be maybe like reader's theater, we thought at first. So initially, I wasn't writing full-length plays, which is quickly became, but initially it was uh, short programs with uh, bogus commercials in between and um, musical guests, and of course the three of us portrayed all of these alleged guests. It started turning into full-length plays, which at the Comedy Workshop I'd been moving towards writing longer pieces about my family and one acts then, and, and then... Uh, in 1985, I wrote A Fertile Holiday, which became the first fertile family comedy, fertile being a slight variation on feral. It's about a large rural family uh, called the Fertiles. as a Baptist preacher who is the patriarch of the family, and uh, they have many, many adventures. I think you've written uh, 15 now. Uh, full length, and then length several one-acts, and a lot of sketches about them as well. It used to be sensitive because uh, I would have relatives who would come in and see the show and I was always fearful that they would spot themselves or their wife or kids. Now, uh, on the bright side, most of them are dead. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a relief. Not from watching yeah. the shows, I hope. Uh, <laughs> no. 
You know, I'm sure that uh, people don't really have an accurate picture. If they wanted to hear some radio music theater, how could they access that? Uh, we still uh, sell um, seven of our full-length Fertile Family shows on uh, DVD format. At radiomusictheater.com, there's a place to, to purchase them. The best way to get a really clear idea of what we do is to come to the joint in North Little Rock, where we are now. It's a cabaret-style theater where we perform now just two shows a week, Friday and Saturday nights. And uh, But it's a coffee shop by day, and uh, there's entertainment in there five nights a week. Lots of uh, different kinds of entertainment, all comedy, though. We have stand-up comedians. We have improv on one night. We have the jazz series on Monday, which Jim would be perfect for. Oh, yes. He was still playing. And what's most wonderful about it is it's run by our uh, son and his wife. And um, the marketing for the joint is done by our daughter and her husband. So <laughs> we all moved to North Little Rock um, in 2011. Moved my parents as well, and another couple from Houston all moved together. We decided we wanted a new adventure as a family. Found this place that was quite beautiful and uh, a little slower pace. Just something we could all do together. Uh, our son and daughter-in-law were in the coffee business, so we decided, well, let's have a coffee shop, help them get that started. And we decided that we were going to retire, we thought. After a year, we kind of got bored with that. Yeah, we knew we wanted to help Adam, uh, our son, uh, and daughter-in-law, Sarah, open a coffee shop, but we didn't realize we were going to uh, reinvent ourselves. And then the idea struck us, well, maybe we'll perform there once in a while, maybe we'll sing and play in the corner, and then just kept evolving. And by the time we opened, we had committed to, well, we'll do one show Friday and one show Saturday. Now we're in our eighth year of operation, and we're still doing that. And somehow you took a gamble and started your comedy career again and discovered that Arkansans also have a sense of humor. They sure do. And one discovery we've made is that it's almost the same as uh, New York uh, uh, or, or Los Angeles or Minneapolis. Uh, there are little variations. You can get more laughs doing a Swedish accent in Minneapolis than you can in <laughs> Houston or Little Rock. But you know, people are pretty much the same, especially when we're uh, dealing with family relationships and uh, uh, living in a small town. Uh, these are things that people all over the world are familiar with. You do tend to write about things pe- all people can relate to. Mm. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I got I got a question for you. You got to answer this. According to my quick math, for the last, well, it's over 40 years, you two have lived together and worked together. How have you made that <laughs> sane? We love each other. <laughs> That's too simple. Yeah. Well, well, we really have fun together. We always have created a space for the romantic part of our relationship. And by that, I mean on a daily basis. We always uh, take the beginning of the morning to be together. And regardless of what else happens during the day, we always spend the late evening together, like a date or like at home, hanging out and partying the same way we did when we were 20. 
and we love performing together. We really have fun when we're on stage. Um, sometimes the least stressful part of a day, if we're having a really busy or stressful day, um, is when we step on stage to perform. The phone can't ring. Uh, no one can ask us to do something or, you know, it's just pure fun from the time the show starts till the end. And we've always enjoyed that. So this is where you are right now. And it's a wonderful place to be. How do you see yourselves down the road? Uh, do you do you plan on continuing to do this forever and ever? Or is there some other plan that you've got that you want to put into place? We are open to uh, forever and ever, but... We already wound back from uh, doing many shows per week to just doing two performances uh, each week. We take more weeks off now, so we're able to travel. I think as years go by, we'll uh, perhaps perform limited runs with time off in between so we can take more extended trips or adventures together. But I don't think we'll ever completely stop. Well, with all of this uh, behind you and ahead of you, Steve and Vicki, uh, can you offer any advice to other people who may be contemplating something new, something fresh? What advice do you have for people to engage think, uh, in a new adventure? Mm-hmm. I think staying open-minded is the key and going where life takes you. Um, you never know exactly what's going to be in your future. And if you remain open-minded it might come into something more wonderful than you could even have imagined yourself. But I think what we do has kept us feeling young. We've never stopped working the muscles it takes to run around to high speed and change characters and never stopped stretching our voices to do uh, completely different people with uh, who speak in different registers or have different ages. And I think we'd age more quickly if we ever stopped presenting ourselves with that challenge so we'll probably always continue Mm -hmm. well then please don't ever stop she was with a man who's much uglier than me he had studied ugly and got his graduate degree if ugly was a crime we'd be talking felony and i started laughing well it looks like we made it through another episode if you enjoyed it let us know Or if you know somebody who'd be fun to interview, tell us about them. You can reach us at our website, olddogspodcast.com. And hey, keep on howling at the moon.